So Beth, in keeping with our theme of no longer talking about food, why don't we talk about something that's been kind of ethically debated recently in the field of science? Like what? How about cloning? What kind of clothing? There's three different kinds of clothing. There's gene cloning, reproductive clothing, and therapeutic cloning. Hmm. Let's just focus on reproductive cloning, mostly. That sounds like fun. Let's geek in. So what happens in reproductive cloning is that first, the nucleus, which is the DNA-containing portion of the cell, is removed from a reproductive cell. So like an egg, right? An egg cell. So then it gets replaced with the nucleus of a different cell. We essentially cut and paste DNA. Okay. Sometimes they'll like edit it and do interesting things with it, but that's essentially how it works, is you take the DNA of a regular cell and put it into a reproductive cell so that essentially whereas before you had only one half of a set of DNA now you have a complete set of DNA and the cell is prepared to go on and reproduce via mitosis right so there's some benefits of cloning potentially bringing back extinct species that's really exciting Um, studying rare genetic diseases that's also exciting Here's one that's super helpful and interesting. Making identical specimens for scientific research. That would be very helpful to make sure that we're actually accurate in our scientific research. Yeah, so you remember how last week we were talking about how there were confounding variables in different things? One confounding variable is genetic variability of species that we commonly use for laboratory experimentation. There are a lot of variables in terms of mouse DNA, for example. Right, so if we have identical species to experiment on... Identical specimens to experiment on. Right, identical specimens to experiment on. um, Then we know for sure that, like, for example, if we're testing it for a drug, that it is the difference between two drugs that is causing uh, an observed difference rather than... A confounding variable. Like a different gene. Right. And actually, uh, let's go back to bringing back extinct species. There's experiments in process right now where this is trying or attempting to be done. Uh, One research group is hoping to get woolly mammoth embryos by 2019. Now, this doesn't mean that we're suddenly going to see woolly mammoths in the tundra again. This means that we're going to see woolly mammoth embryos. So that means that they're making woolly mammoth embryos, which are not full-grown woolly mammoths. They're small... Mammoth fetuses. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but there's a lot of difficulties with possibly taking the woolly mammoth to full term in terms of cloning. Um, One of the difficulties is that any zygote or embryo of this extinct species would have to be implanted not into the womb of its own species because there are no woolly mammoths running around but into the womb of its of a similar species right this really isn't an option with the woolly mammoth because elephant artificial fertilization is a bugger they do have very very large butts so yeah they do So they would probably have to be placed into an artificial womb, which up to this point, there are artificial wombs that 
uh, researchers have used to make cloned mice, but at this point artificial wombs are really only tenable for small animals at this point. It, does, it doesn't seem like it's going to be anytime soon, especially since uh, any kind of cloning, let alone interspecies cloning, um, has a lot of difficulty associated with it. Like, for example, um, Dolly the sheep, everything was perfect. They had perfect DNA. They had uh, an identical species to which she's, she was implanted in, and she was still, um, she still died at half, half sheep's lifetime. So she had some serious health problems. Um, not to mention, like, the DNA of mammoths is likely to be damaged with the permafrost and stuff like that. You're not likely to get a full mammoth genome. And even that research group that we looked at, um, they're not actually planning on cloning the mammoth. What they're actually planning on doing is taking the Asian elephant and modifying it to have mammoth-like traits. So they're saying, okay, we're going to replace its floppy ears with the little ears of a mammoth, and um, we're going to make them have thick fur and subcutaneous fat, which, interestingly enough, it's not actually the mammoth. It's just kind of a mammoth replacement. Let's talk about some ethical quandaries that people have raised as far as the ethics of cloning in general and the cloning of extinct species as well. For example, a lot of people say that it's not natural, quote unquote. Cloning is not natural. Mm-hmm. Well, cloning actually is completely natural because it happens all the time. That's why there's such things as twins. Furthermore, technically, the process of cell division is creating a, a clone. Uh, every time one of your skin cells divides, it's creating a clone of itself. But it's not creating a whole new person, though. Theoretically, it could. Identical twins, like you were just talking about, is uh, are brought about because of the process of mitosis, essentially. When the zygote divides into the first two cells, mm -hmm. if those cells split off from each other, then both of them will develop and become their own embryos. It's a pretty neat thing, like... Which are clones of themselves, of each other. Mm-hmm. So you're like, oh, you know, why, how would we deal with, like, having a bunch of Richards around? Well, you know... You wouldn't. It would just be an apocalypse. But, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the right question. But, yeah, I mean, there are twins, and they've learned to live with each other, even though it can be quite confusing sometimes, but we'll just have to figure it out. Some people also say, like, if we were to clone extinct species, is it really ethical to do that? Would they be happy because they would be different from their current herd? Would they be included in their herd? You know what I'm saying? Some people say that extinct species shouldn't be cloned because it's possible that they won't be happy. I would say that they definitely shouldn't be cloned on uh, for a variety of reasons, happiness being one of them. Mm -hmm. For one thing, let's take, for example, the idea of a, uh, cloning a T-Rex. Yeah, has no one learned anything from Jurassic Park? Seriously. <laughs> for one thing, if you clone an extinct species, what will it eat? There's information that's passed down from parent to child in a natural setting. It would, I mean, we have this problem with animals that are raised in captivity. They essentially need to be taught how to be them 
Well, you're assuming, though, that the animals would be raised by scientists and not by other animals. And I mean, there are those are, animals going to... Uh, there are animals who have similar behavior characteristics to those extinct species that we could use. If there are. Right, so like the woolly mammoth, for example, could probably learn quite a bit from the elephants. But would it learn everything? Does it need to learn everything? I think so. Why does it need to learn everything? We live in a different world now. It's not... It's completely different from the world in which that species, quote-unquote, grew up in. Which is precisely my point. So when we look at invasive species, okay, let's take the Great Lakes, how we've got these lamprey eels that are invading into the Great Lakes. There is nothing in the Great Lakes that eats them because these, inv- these eels are completely foreign to everything. So what you're saying is that an extinct species that was reintroduced could possibly become an invasive species? Precisely. I find, that, I find that highly unlikely because uh, that species went extinct years ago, so obviously it has some trouble adapting to the environment. Why do you think it would take off immediately if and become an invasive species? In recent years, the majority of species that have gone extinct have either gone extinct because of a volcanic eruption or because of humans. Because the environment has changed since these species went extinct, it'll be very difficult for them to reintroduce themselves into the ecosystem, any ecosystem. Though there may be similarities and some species may have a chance, overall it's just more trouble than it's worth. Right now the earth is not recovering from a major mass extinction event. We are not desperately in need of new species to populate it. At the moment, it's just kind of irrelevant to bring back a woolly mammoth. I've heard some people argue that that they could help reduce climate change, because when they dig down into the permafrost, like the mammoths of old, quote-unquote, used to dig into the permafrost, and so they they would dig down into the dirt and they would keep the permafrost from thawing and releasing CO2. On a a large scale, that's a very minimal effect. Yeah, you're probably right, especially since they don't reproduce very fast. If we really wanted to do that, we could just uh, create machines to do it Mm. much more effectively and without needing many, many generations for them to have the numbers to make it effective. Mm. Well, here's another point that a lot of people make. Is it ethical to intentionally create animals who have a genetic disease for the purpose of studying that genetic disease. Depends on the animal. Frankly, if we're talking about, you know, the thing I I find interesting is no one ever cares if we clone bacteria. No one cares if we torture bacteria. They do that all the time. We do. Bacteria clones itself all the time. Right, but no one ever makes a big stink if we have bacteria in cages. And yet, if we have a monkey in a cage, people get up in arms. That obviously suggests that the bigger, cuter, fuzzier, and more intelligent the animal is, the uh, the more likely it is to be valuable, to be worth something, to be worth animal rights. So what you're saying is the more human an animal is, the more likely we are to care about it. Precisely. An argument which I find ridiculous. Because humans, if we want to make the argument that humans are separate from animals, which they aren't, then we, we need to make that argument, not that there is a gradient scale up to human uh, humanity. So if we want to be able to help animals, to help humans, to help organisms that are suffering from genetic or other diseases, 
And we need to study that disease. And there's really no better way to do it than by working with animals. So you're saying yes? I'm saying we have to. Either we, the bigger question is if that is morally unethical, which is more morally unethical? Seeing this disease that we have the ability to stop and doing nothing about it, or sa- sacrificing the well-being of a, of a comparatively tiny number of animals for the betterment of all. And on that same vein, um, do you think it's ethical to create animals that will likely have health problems? Like, for example, Dolly had a lot of health problems? The creation of Dolly was an experiment. We didn't know what we were going to get. It was possible she would have health problems, it was possible she wouldn't. And it was determined that the benefits, the possible benefits, outweighed the risks. I still feel that that was true. The potential benefits that could be obtained through cloning outweigh the risks of a couple of animals suffering. We have to think of it in a broad kind of scale. However many animals we end up cloning in this small little pocket of history, it pales in comparison to the number of that species that abounds in the wild. It pales in comparison to the number of species that could be helped with the knowledge, which is eternal, of how diseases work. Once that knowledge is found, it's very difficult to have it go away. The knowledge of how to help treat or cure diseases could be priceless eternally priceless. And I don't think that we can put, we can say that anything else is is better than that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Right. However, you know, going back to cloning extinct animals, it would be very difficult to get those guys off the ground because, think about it, we could only be able to produce one or two specimens at a time. And having those specimens reproduce naturally, I mean, it would be fine, but after that, what next? We only have relatives to breed them to, you know? Mm-hmm. Not very much genetic diversity in that sample size right there. Right. So... And that's an issue as well. On the other hand, perhaps we could use cloning to expand the genetic diversity of animals that are currently endangered but are having trouble reproducing because of close relationships. So, like, for example, I think the uh, the giant panda has trouble, for one thing, conceiving it all by itself. Um, because they don't screw. <laughs> we need them screwing. Anyway. But, you know, if you have endangered species, one of the problems that you run into is that you don't have very much diversity after a while because even if those animals are screwing proficiently, they don't have very much genetic diversity. So we could potentially take some DNA from deceased organisms that are unrelated and incorporate them into existing gene pools. What do you think? That's possible. But there's, there's still the risk of when we undergo the process of clo- cloning, it's entirely possible to damage sm- uh, small microscopic bits of, th- of the DNA that we're working with mm-hmm. and end up creating a brand new genetic disorder. That could be a serious issue, if, especially if we don't discover the genetic disorder immediately. Right. And in a population that's already got low genetic diversity, that could be a death sentence. It would require very meticulous screening of that new organism once it's fully developed. And that kind of brings us to uh, one of our last points, which is um, these clones, if they weren't used for study, they might be placed on exhibit for humans admiring their own accomplishments, you know what I'm saying? So, like, maybe we would see these animals as a 
prize or a trophy. Like, look at us, we brought back the woolly mammoth. You know, if we're not poking and prodding at it all the time, maybe it would be placed in a zoo. And you know, what kind of a life is that? What do you think? I think that that's exactly the reason why why we want to bring back some of these animals. I mean, you ma- made the argument about them digging through the permafrost, but that that's just a justification. We're just trying to Everybody justify. Everybody wants to say that they'll be able to bring back the lo- the woolly mammoth. Right, and the, but the reason why we want to bring it back is because they're big furry fuzzballs that have tusks. And we all li- uh, liked the movie Ice Age. That's it. That is the that is the extent of our desire to bring them back. I mean, I I just think we have to ask ourselves: Is that a sufficient reason to resurrect an animal uh, from the past? Costing us billions and billions and billions of dollars, and you know, potentially producing one or two animals that and having the potential to do more harm than good. For example, if if ants were to go extinct. If, say, say ants were, have been extinct for a million years. I mean, if ants were to go extinct, it would cause massive uh, ecological you know, disaster. But after a million years, we would have recovered from that. New organisms would have taken their place. If we were to just bring ants back, once they're brought back, there's no putting them back in the bottle. They reproduce very quickly. Right. Very, very quickly. And you, who knows if they would be integrated mm. into the ecosystem. Right. One successful co- uh, colony after a year would produce hundreds, potentially. Just hundreds? Potentially hundreds. Oh, hundreds of colonies. Hundreds of colonies. Okay, I thought you were talking about hundreds of ants. I'm like, no. I think you're hundreds a little bit colonies. <laughs> anyway, one f- final facetious idea. What about cloning world leaders? So like Einstein, for example, what, were, what if you were to take his genes and make another Einstein? How far would we go in science? To be honest with you, we don't have any idea how much of Einstein's brilliance was due to his genes. We don't know if if we were to clone Einstein, we don't know if he would have any interest in science whatsoever. We don't know if he would have an IQ that's uh, that's worth anything to speak of. We know he had a couple of mental disorders. Were those mental disorders because of his genes? Or because of in- his environment? It seems like a lot of really brilliant people come out of really difficult circumstances, and it seems to me that it would not be humane to try and reproduce those circumstances. <laughs> um, to say the least. Right. And nor would coddling these clones of brilliant people produce those same brilliant people. Just like twins are their own person. They're not the same as the other twin. You know what I'm saying? Right. Precisely. I mean, wherever you may stand in the whole nature versus nurture debate, we can all agree that there is some kind of balance between the two. There is. There has to be. The field of psychology just is not nearly advanced enough to be able to predict all of the different facets and bits and pieces that go into making a person who they are. We can't truly create another Albert Einstein. So it doesn't sound like it would be unethical to create another Albert Einstein. It does seem like, though, it would be unethical to try and expect that person to be like Albert Einstein. So what really would be the point? Right. You can clone him. You can have a person with his genetics. I mean, he'll have horrible hair and go bald really early, but you can. What would be unethical? He probably won't have a German accent, though. No. 
what would be unethical is to expect him to be Albert Einstein. To have all these brilliant brilliant theories and advanced science. Mm Mm-hmm. Precisely. Or even understand Albert Einstein's own theories. Anyway, so if we were to give Stephen Hawking a second chance at life, it wouldn't be Stephen Hawking because... He wouldn't be trapped inside his own mind. It wouldn't... It would be a completely different person, and, uh... He wouldn't be like Stephen Hawking because... He could be an athlete. Yeah, well, for one thing, um, Stephen Hawking's... Everybody's experiences shape who they are. And I'm sure that part of Stephen Hawking's brilliance was the fact that he had nothing to do but think. But anyway. Anyway, so that about wraps it up. One, two... Three, geek out.